Amen. Good morning. Welcome to our services today. We're really glad you're here. If you're a visitor, we're especially glad to have you. I hope you made it in time to enjoy the breakfast that was prepared this morning because it was really great. And uh, many thanks to those who were involved in preparing the same. Uh, thank you for the prayers on my behalf. And thank you for the song service as it has been very inspiring and uplifting in order to have us all in the mood to uh, really enjoy our service to God today. You will notice that I have titled this lesson, The Worship Service. Now, I know that from time to time we all probably at one point in our life have wondered, am I really worshiping God the way he wants me to? You know, I come to church, I show up, I do all the things I'm asked to do, but is that what God expects of me? Is that all I've got to do? Is that all there is to it? Show up, go through the motions, everything's good. You know, I guess where we would start in considering this question is, why did you choose to be here this morning in the assembly of the church? There are lots of benefits from being here. You know, we get to enjoy the fellowship one with another. We get to renew our time of acquaintance with our friends, catch up on our family. We get to experience an uplifting service. It's a reprieve. This is a time that we can set aside where we don't have to deal with the pressures that we contend with daily out there in the world. It's an escape, if you will, from that battlefield of life that we're all thrust into every day out in the world. And make no mistake, it's a battlefield. Satan is there. He is moving around. He is after your soul. He doesn't have to spend much time worrying about all those people he's already got. They're in his camp. The people he wants are sitting right here. And we go out onto that battlefield every week. And when we show up to worship God, we don't have to worry about that, do we? We are removed from those challenges disappointments, conflicts that we have to deal with every day. So there's lots of benefits to being here. But I hope the main reason you're here is to worship God, our creator. The creator of me and you, the creator of everything, the creator of all good things. I pray the number one reason you're here is to worship God. Are we doing what God expects us to do? 
Let's look at a few things God's had to say in his word about the worship service and the different components of it. Obviously, I'm not even going to attempt to go into depth with any of these things, but I am going to try to maybe reveal a few things that God has said about each one of these parts of our worship service. Turn to John 4 and 23. This is something Jesus said, and I'm sure we all remember the story. It's the time Jesus encountered the woman at the well. And, of course, she asked him that question. You know, how do we worship God? Our people say we need to worship up in this mountain. Your people say we've got to worship in Jerusalem. What, what do we do? Look at what Jesus said when he answered her. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers of God shall worship him in spirit and in truth, for God seeks such to worship him. Now I want you to think about that statement. There's a lot of information Christ packed into this few short words. First of all, he's made a distinguishing separation between true worshipers of God and those that aren't. You ever thought about that? Now, I'm sure we can all sit here and think, well, you know, I know that this group doesn't worship God right, and this group has no clue, and, you know, some people worship Buddha, some people worship Muhammad, some people, so on and on. He's talking about his people. He's talking about God's people when he draws his separation. He's not talking about the pagans. He's not talking about those idol worshipers. He's talking about God's people. True worshipers. That means there are those that are not true worshipers. So what's the difference? Oh, if I don't fall down up here, that'd be kind of bad, wouldn't it? That's one of the disadvantages to not seeing very well. You don't have a real stable uh, foundation. But at any rate, true worshipers shall worship God in spirit and in truth. So he tells us how we're to worship him, doesn't he? Spirit and truth. For God seeks such people to worship him. Now, as you analyze these words here, worship, spirit, truth, we can all look them up in Strong's. We can all see what the definition is. Worship is to honor, reverence, love, and adore, and honor, and respect, and obey God. That's how we worship God. How many things on that list to you and to me and to our service today well I hope your conclusion is every one of them because they all do but how often do we as God's children choose to eh, maybe slide on one of those things not do one of those things And then we see that we're to worship him in spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's our spirit. Our spirit 
is to worship God. And what does that mean? Spirit means our mental disposition, our mental attitude, our mind, our life, our focus. Is that on worshiping God? It's all up here. Or maybe it's in here in our heart. Or maybe it's both. Truth. That refers to doctrine and our profession of faith and not canceling. What would that mean? What would that be included in truth? Because God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. He does not change. We can't cancel out some of what God says because it doesn't apply today. You know, we live in the 21st century and we got a lot of things going on and things are different now. So, you know, I don't have to know. God hasn't changed. You've got to remember that. We can't take anything away from what God has instructed us to do. We can't anything that we have to worship God as he intended for us to do. And now we'd like to review some of the components of that, some of the elements of our worship service, if you would. Turn to Acts 20 and 7. <coughs> and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, we see here two different elements of our worship service. Number one, it's on the first day of the week. You know, every week has a first day, doesn't it? When the disciples came together to break bread, what does that refer to? We know that refers to the communion. Every first day of the week, disciples come together and break bread. Are you a disciple of Christ? Do you make sure that you're in the assembly of the church to break bread and remember the sacrifice made for your sins? You know, it doesn't have to be a big building full of people. The Lord said, we're two or three together together in my name. I'm there with them also. But do you make sure that it happens in your life? That's what God's told us to do. This memorial service that we participate in was instituted by our Lord and Savior the night he was betrayed. When Jesus took bread and he broke it, he gave thanks and broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you in remembrance of me. And in like manner he took the cup and said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood as you drink it in remembrance of me. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 26. Jesus set up this memorial service. Not man. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. Nobody before us. Christ set this up. And he expects us to do that every first day of the week. Amazing, isn't it? How people can get so confused about that. Or they've chosen not to worship God in spirit and truth. 
Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17 that the cup of blessing we bless is communion of the blood of Christ. The bread we break is communion of the body of Christ. And then he said something else. And we being many are one bread, one body. We are all partakers of that one blood. What does that mean? That means that as we together participate in this memorial service, we become one. As one body of God's children, we offer up our sacrifice in remembrance of what our Lord did for us. He freely went to the cross and suffered, bled, and died a horrible, horrible death. Not because he had to. He did that for you and for me to redeem us from our sins. And as we participate in this memorial service, I hope your mind, it gets back to that spirit we were talking about, your mental disposition, your mental attitude, is on the price paid for our sins and that we as collectively as a body of Christians are sending up our memorial to him our Lord and Savior together as we are able to praise God to thank Jesus to thank that divine plan that God instituted before the foundation of the earth that he laid out for our salvation. You know, we all combine together. We all become one body as we do this. If mentally we're connected together in spirit. I hope that's what happens. Don't let your mind wander during the memorial service. Don't be thinking about what's for dinner or what you're going to do after church or where you're going tomorrow or whatever. Focus your thoughts on what God has done for you. And the praise and adoration we need to have to him for that great sacrifice. And as we all do that together, we all make that offering and supplication to God in thanksgiving for the price that was paid for our sins. Let's look at Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. I'm going to stop right there for just a minute. You might think if that's all you read that we're talking about the speaking service, wouldn't you? We're talking about the speaker that's going to get up here and preach. That's not what Paul's talking about, is it? That's not what the Lord's talking about. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord.
Do you know that's what you're doing when you're singing praises to God? You think you don't have the opportunity to preach or teach or admonish one another? Maybe you're one of the ladies here and you think, I never have that opportunity. That's not my purview. No, it is in your purview. As you lift your voice in praise to God, with everybody else that's here, you are celebrating the word of Christ, which dwells in you richly. And the wisdom and teaching that we do by admonishing and encouraging one another in song builds us up collectively. Are you engaged in the song service? We had a great song service today. If you can't engage in a song service like we had this morning, there's something wrong. Your spirit has been checked off at the door. Is that what's happening to you? Are you here just to go through the motions? Or are you here to worship God? I want to ask you a question. What part of this is optional? What part of this statement is optional? It's obvious, isn't it? None of it's optional. And yet we have people right here in this assembly that when we're singing, they're sitting there with their mouth closed. Or maybe they're mumbling a few words here and there. Their mind's wandering. They're looking at their phone. They're checked out. They're zoned out. They're not participating in praising God in lifting up our voices together to worship God. And I know, you're going to say, I can't sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I'm off key. I'm out of time. I have no idea what I'm doing. I look at those notes and it might as well be Greek to me. I have no clue what they mean. I can't sing. I want to ask you a question. Do you think God doesn't know the talents and ability he gave you in this regard? Do you think somewhere along the way he forgot, oh, no, I didn't give Tim the ability to sing, so I guess he can shut up. Do you really think that? God knows what talent he gave you in this regard. And whether you are the most accomplished singer in the building or you're like uh, my good friend, Gerald Henry, I can't talk about him very much. <coughs> Gerald couldn't hold a tune in a bucket. <laughs> but he was probably the loudest person here. Because he loved to praise God. God expects you to worship him with your songs, with your voice. And that is we collectively offer up our praises to God. He receives them as though we are one. And it is a powerful powerful statement to God 
and praise and adoration and worship to him. Don't be left out. Don't not participate in the song service. It's a true blessing to all of us. Take advantage of it. Your spirit will be lifted up by it. You will be encouraged by it. God will be praised by it, and your voice will contribute with all the other voices here to give us a resounding chorus to God on our behalf. Isn't that what we want to do? Don't we want to join together to worship God as he expects us to? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5. We'll start with verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Well, of course, we know this is an admonition to all of us for all the time. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. Now, you know that during the service, every service, we offer many prayers to God. Where is your mindset when we're participating in these prayers? What is your mental disposition? When the brother that's called on to offer those prayers is doing so, are you engaged with that prayer? Are you praying along with him? Are you a part of that admonition to God? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, prayer is the most powerful tool we have. And we... combine our collective prayer and offer it to God, what more powerful tool is there for us to use? You engage with whoever the person is that's wording the prayer to make that prayer part of you and your admonition to God. And you become part of this body, and as a collective body of God's people, we become one again in offering our prayers and supplications to God. And what more powerful thing can we do? That's what God expects us to do. I wonder how many times we as God's people just let our mind drift off when we're in the prayer service because we don't think that really applies to us. That's not me wording the prayer. That's Brother Greg. That's old. Whoever. I don't have to participate. I just need to be quiet and reverent bow my head that's your thought you are very wrong God expects you to be engaged with that prayer he expects you to combine your spirit with the spirit of everybody else in this assembly to offer those prayers to God that's what he expects of us I hope that's what we do let's look at 2 Timothy 4 Beginning with verse 1. 
I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Brethren, what more powerful charge can he give us? I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Powerful charge to the Lord's church, to God's people, to his body. Preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Now we're getting down to what we're charged to do, aren't we? One of the many things we're charged to do, but preach the word and be instant, in season and out of season. What does it mean? That means that we don't change the word of God. God said what he said, and he means what he said. We don't have the authority, the right, or the ability to change it. And we start trying to do that, and we're condemning ourselves. So if you're called upon to preach to God's family, you need to remember that. Because if you decide you can change the Word of God to fit your ideas, you're condemning yourself, brother. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, or you might say encourage with all long suffering and doctrine. Those are the things we that accept the responsibility to preach to God's people have taken on. To reprove, rebuke, encourage with all long suffering and doctrine. Back to the Word of God, isn't it? You see, it doesn't do us any good to go through all those things if we're not going to apply the Word of God. All we've done is condemn ourselves and unfortunately probably condemn some of those that are listening to us. As we go on in verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You know, we live in a time where our culture has been so degraded and so destroyed that socially it's very difficult for us to recognize much in the world of Christianity and those things that are going on around us. We are assaulted every day by those ideas, those advocates for all different kinds of things that are now culturally or politically correct. If you find yourself starting to buy into some of that stuff, you hear a message in this pulpit or any other pulpit or on the floors I'm standing today, if I don't fall down. That's in conflict with what you believe or what you think. What do you do? You just zone out. Say, I'm not into that. Uh, my God's not like that. I don't buy that. 
I don't accept it. Is that your approach? You've heard something you don't agree with, so just reject it. Walk away. Don't make a big stink. Just it's not me. It's not for me. You have a responsibility as one of God's children to judge those things you hear from this pulpit. Do you know that? The Lord told us we speak one at a time so that all may hear and all may judge. That's everybody. That's all of us. You have that responsibility, just like I do, Shonda, anybody does. You judge the message that's delivered to you. And you see if it conforms to the Word of God. And if you disagree with something that's presented, you have the responsibility to study that out and come to a conclusion in your own mind as to its validity or not. And if you conclude that what was said is accurate, and accurately reflects the word of God, then you have no choice but to change your position. You'll either change your position or you will become further degraded in your faith. Now, if you find out that you're right, you've got it, studied this topic, you concluded that you've got the right idea, and the speaker's not exactly on, you have a responsibility to go talk to that speaker, that preacher, and address those issues of conflict so that y'all may study together and come to an agreement. The one thing you don't have the ability to do is to just forget it. Just let it go. That's not in your purview. Not if you're going to worship God. You have to address it. If you don't, Satan's going to use that foothold he's got in your heart and your mind and in your soul, and it's going to gradually grow. And whatever the problem is you have today, there's going to be another one come up next week, next month, next year, and you're going to reject that too. And as time goes on, and Satan has his way with you and your heart and your mind, you're going to be one of these people mentioned right here that will not endure sound doctrine, and you will walk away from the church. I'm sure everybody here knows people who have done that. I know lots of them. And they walk away from the church and they condemn themselves. Not just that. It's not they just condemn themselves. They condemn their kids. For how many generations? All because they weren't willing to follow the biblical example of how you address your problems with the Word of God. So instead, they just walk away they throw themselves out, they cast their kids out, their grandkids, and so on and so forth for however many generations it runs. 
unless there's some miraculous thing that happens somewhere along the way to bring some of them back. Because you see, people with this problem will eventually heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. That means you're no longer relevant in the kingdom of God. You have rejected God, you've rejected his word, and he has rejected you. And you know what the end is going to be if you don't change. Don't let that happen to you. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing with what the speaker has to say. It's what you do after that disagreement that matters. Do you fulfill your responsibility as a child of God on how to address that disagreement? I pray that you do. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 16 and 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And of course we know this is talking about the contribution, don't we? I don't have the time to really cover this in any great depth, but maybe sometime in the future we'll try to do that. But the point is, in 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, we read that we are to purpose in our heart what we're going to do with the financial blessings God has given us. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Matthew 22 and 37. So it gets back again to your mental disposition, to your spirit, and how you worship God. Make no mistake, brethren. What you give back to God, your contribution is part of your worship to God. And if you think it's not, you're sadly mistaken. And as we worship God, we are to honor, respect, and obey Him. Do you know God always asks for the first fruits of His people? From the very beginning, you go back to Genesis and Cain and Abel, God expects the first fruits. It's never changed and it never will. So how do you purpose in your heart? We all have income that we're blessed with from God. We have jobs that pay us enough to make a living. Some of us have investments that pay off on a regular basis or maybe periodically. Some of us have an inheritance. Maybe we have a hobby or a second job or something that helps contribute to our living. There's all kinds of things that God has blessed us with. How do you purpose in your heart what you're going to do with these blessings? I fear that in many cases we purpose in our heart to provide for a house, a car, our retirement, our 401ks, to increase our savings, add to the college fund for the kids, 
to fund our activities, you know, our hunting and fishing, maybe to provide a second home or a vacation home, and the list goes on and on. And we purpose in our hearts to take care of all these, quote, obligations first. And then where are we left? We're purposing in our heart to give God what's left. Maybe not even all of what's left. Maybe just a portion of what's left. We're giving God the leftovers. It's not the first fruits. Maybe we don't even think about it. Maybe we don't consider what we're giving. Because we never have. We never thought it necessary. We just make a token contribution, you know, something that's comfortable, easy. We just put that in there and go on. We don't really give it any thought. Brother, you need to give it some thought. I want to point out something. If you are concerned about this issue, study Malachi. You know, Malachi was talking to God's people. And he said, y'all are giving God the sick and the lame and the broken and the spoiled. You're giving him the leftovers. And then he went on to tell them, God rejects your sacrifice. He does not recognize your gifts. And he condemns you for it. And then in Malachi 3 and 8, he asks them the question, Will you rob God? Are we giving the first fruits? Are we purposing in our heart what we're going to do with the blessings God has blessed us with? At the very beginning, oh, we ain't until we get the end, and we're giving him what's left over, or a part of what's left over. Think about that. We all need to think about that and consider it. Like I said, maybe we'll have an opportunity to just give a lesson on giving sometime in the future, because I know that is an issue or an area where a lot of people have questions. It would have been so nice if God had just put in here, Everybody's required to give $100 every week. Just throw it in the plate and don't worry about it. Well, it's not that way. He requires us to purpose in our hearts what we're going to do. And if you're not doing that, you need to think about making a change because you don't want to be like God's people were in the days of Malachi where God rejects your offering and he rejects you and he condemns you for it. Wouldn't that be awful? I can't imagine. That's terrible. This concludes my message of the morning. I hope you find it to be beneficial to you in evaluating your worship to God. Like I said, I didn't cover any of these topics in any great depth or detail. But I hopefully gave each of us a little insight into what God expects of us, his people. I'm not talking on first principles. If you've been sufficiently taught and you desire to obey the gospel and have your sins washed away, the water's here, it's ready. I bet it's even warm, which is kind of nice. Or if perhaps we can be of assistance to you in another way. You've got a problem in your life. You've got issues you've been dealing with, and you need the prayers of the church. We've just talked about how 
as we pray together as a body of God's people, all our prayers are combined and go up to God in unison, together. We can do that for you. We'd love to do that for you if you have the need. Be of either case, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.